Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Glad to have you along for another edition of Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Carrie Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. We're covering it all from the Piney Woods of East Texas out to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Having a calving kit can make calving season easier. What should be in yours? I'm Jessica Domel, and I have a few tips coming up on Texas Ag today. Corn planting in the Texas High Plains is still a month or more away, but already farmers have reason to feel a little stressed. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories, plus news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. We now have a better picture of how winter storm Uri impacted Texas farmers, ranchers, and dairymen. Preliminary data from extension economists show Uri caused at least $600 million in agricultural losses. Citrus and vegetable growers and livestock producers were hardest hit. AgriLife estimates $230 million in citrus losses, $228 million in livestock losses, and at least $150 million in damage to vegetable crops. Extension Director Dr. Jeff Hyde says freezing temperatures and ice killed or injured many crops and livestock and caused financial hardships and operational setbacks. He says residual costs from the disaster could plague many for years to come. An important deadline is here for Texas cotton farmers. If you had quality losses in your 2018 or 2019 crops, you need to get into the Farm Service Agency office today to sign up for the Quality Loss Assistance Program. National Cotton Council's Reese Langley. The Quality Loss Assistance Program, which is a component of WHIP Plus that provides coverage for quality losses on crops in 2018 and 2019 that were impacted by natural disasters, that sign up at FSA ends on March 5th. So producers are encouraged if they haven't done so already and believe they may have quality loss claims that would be eligible to contact your county FSA office to begin the sign-up process and at least get your name placed on a register to complete that process even after the sign-up concludes on March 5th. Reese Langley with the National Cotton Council. Spring calves are hitting the ground, so make sure you have a calving kit ready to grab when you need it. Jessica Domel tells what you should have in that kit. Being prepared could mean the difference between a smooth calving process and one that doesn't go quite as well. Dr. Ron Gill, professor, associate department head, and livestock specialist for the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service, says if human intervention is needed as a cow is calving, there are a few things that we can have on hand to help ease the process. That kit should include some either palpation sleeves or AI sleeves, whatever you want to call them, that come up to your shoulder. I like to use surgical gloves over that just to kind of keep them held in place because they're so big, they'll kind of pull off if you're not careful. So I always have a box of surgical gloves or mechanics 
rubber gloves that I can use that are pretty tough. You need a sterile lubricant. If you're going to have to pull one, it's best to put a little bit of lube on them, particularly if they've been at it a while and the hair's kind of dried out and they don't have a lot of amniotic fluid on them. You need to put some sterile lubricant. It'll help the calf come out. The calving chains make sure you either have really good chains. There's different types made. Some of them are smoother. Some of them are rougher. Some of them are not quite as strong as they probably ought to be. So buy a good set of calving chains. Learn how to use them. There are some right and wrong ways to apply those. There's some good videos on YouTube as well on how to apply chains. There's some argument about which is correct, but putting a double hitch on them is something you need to think about. But anyway, back to the kit. Those hooks I talked about that are made for those that have handles that you can pull, you'd prefer to pull one with just hand pulls and not just usually come along on all of them, but we can't all do that. One thing that I keep in mind is a headlamp. This whole calving at night and trying to have light in the right place, I've gone to using those headlamps, and that is the best thing in the world for getting things done in the dark. The calf puller, it's not going to be in your kit, but it needs to be one of those things that you keep maintained. And there are some that ratchet in alternating strokes. And the reason those are preferred is it doesn't pull all at one time. It'll pull one leg and then the other. And it kind of helps work the calf out rather than pull him out. Dr. Gill also recommends having a facility where you can get a pregnant cow or heifer in there easily and set it up so that it's easier to pull the calf and get the heifer up after. He said what you want to avoid is tying it to a tree in the pasture. Again, today's comments were from Dr. Ron Gill with Texas A&M University and AgriLife Extension. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Here in early March, things look pretty good for farmers in the Texas High Plains, with one exception. James Hunt reports from Amarillo. David Gibson of Texas Corn Producers says on the economic side of the equation, the news is pretty good. I think with the corn prices and just overall all commodity prices, we're in a better position than we've been in probably 10 years. And with December corn futures running above $4.70 a bushel lately, many area farmers are already doing some marketing of their yet-to-be-planted corn. But here's the rub. We wouldn't expect to see any seed going into the ground for about a month or more, but Gibson says producers who are getting ready for the coming season find themselves up against a significant hardship. Right now, we're looking at some really dry soils. Preparations have really gotten underway across the high plains for planting, and we really need some rain in a very serious way. Now, of course, pretty much all corn in our region is grown under irrigation, but Gibson says the Ogallala Aquifer these days is kind of just a supplement to rainfall. Whereas there used to be enough available to devote perhaps 20 to 30 acre inches of groundwater on a crop, capacity is now much lower due to the general decline of the Ogallala and pumping limits designed to preserve it. Regulatory standards moved in somewhat. We're cutting back on the amount of water we can pump even if we have good wells. And it just makes us really need to have some good moisture from Mother Nature so we can take that maybe 12 to 18 acre inches of water and we still have available in a lot of places and grow a high quality, very productive crop. One trend in recent years that Gibson expects to see continue is more farmers reducing their water needs by cutting their season short and selling their crop as silage rather than grain. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. 
New legislation introduced by Representative Austin Scott of Georgia would give a much-needed boost to the Commodity Credit Corporation. Michael Clements has the story from Washington. Legislation recently introduced in the House of Representatives would expand Commodity Credit Corporation borrowing authority from $30 billion to $68 billion. AFBF Congressional Relations Director Andrew Walmsley says this would be the first CCC funding increase since 1987. The $68 billion would be what inflation-adjusted numbers would be for the Commodity Credit Corporation, which has been a vital tool in the administration of farm programs. More recently, we've seen it utilized for market facilitation payments, along with needed emergency assistance to producers through the coronavirus food assistance program. With potential new uses for the CCC under the Biden administration, Walmsley says it is important there is enough funding for all CCC programs. As more demands are put on the Commodity Credit Corporation, we want to ensure there's enough funding for those core programs. The new administration, they're looking at maybe some new practices around climate smart agriculture. So to allow the secretary to have those flexibilities to make sure there's enough resources there for all the needs of agriculture, we think it's time to update the borrowing amount within the CCC. Walmsley says CCC funding is a critical tool for agriculture. At the end of the day, farmers and ranchers want to find markets, but when your business partner is Mother Nature and you're dealing in a global economy, having some risk management tools at the disposal of, of USDA probably isn't a bad idea to ensure we continue to have the most affordable and safe food supply on the planet. Michael Clements, Washington. U.S. Department of Agriculture officials are taking a look at the agricultural damage caused to Texas by the recent winter storm. USDA's Stephanie Ho reports. What were some of the agricultural impacts of February's deep freeze? Assessment continues for a number of crops in Texas, such as small grains, winter wheat being one of those. There has been some reported damage, especially in South Texas. Some of the early corn, very small portion of the state's corn that had been planted and had emerged obviously needs to be replanted. That was USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey. Widespread damage reported to vegetable crops in South Texas and elsewhere where there were vegetables in the ground. Some reports of blueberries with damage in Southeast Texas. Fruit trees are another possible casualty. We know the fruits were damaged, but beyond that, how much damage was done to the twigs and the branches of the trees? Temperatures in the lower 20s, not really conducive for the health of citrus trees. And with livestock. Sheep, goat, Lamb losses are still being assessed in some of the hardest hit areas, especially where the bitter cold was combined with snowfall. This is Stephanie Ho for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. State officials continue to investigate a case of chronic wasting disease. I'm Jessica Dommel, and I'll have details coming up on Texas Ag Today. And contracted heels in horses could lead to lameness, and many believe this is caused by metal shoes. Well, is it? Dr. Bob Judd has the answer coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. In Texas, there's pea-sized hail and baseball-sized hail. Guess which one hit our house? We didn't even know where to begin, but we called our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent, and he was so reassuring. He knew exactly what to do to get our house back into shape and our lives back to normal. Now... We're even more thankful for the roof over our heads. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to insure your home for Texas-size weather. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. 
We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Many believe contracted heels at horses are caused by metal shoes, but that's not necessarily the case. However, contracted heels can lead to lameness. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more. Heel contraction in horses involves narrowing of the caudal part of the hoof, including the frog, buttress, and heel bulbs. To determine if a heel is contracted, you can measure the width of the heel two and a half inches from the buttress and compare that distance to the width one inch from the toe. If the width of the heel is the smaller of the two, the heel is contracted. Another simpler method is to measure the length of the frog and compare that to the width of the frog. And if the width is less than 67% or one-third of the length of the frog, the heel is contracted. Although metal shoes are blamed for causing heel contractions, there is no scientific evidence to support this. So a study was performed in Poland on 114 horses on 22 different premises. Results indicated that the use of metal horseshoes was not related to heel contraction, and heel contraction is a multifactorial problem with many different related causes. In many cases, heel contraction is related to the breed involved and poor trimming and shoeing techniques. Only about 8% of feral horses have contracted heels, but up to 100% of domestic horses in one study had contracted heels. However, it made no difference if the horses that had contracted heels were shod or not. Some believe that horseshoes restrict the movement of the heels and lead to contraction, but this does not appear to be the case. One previous study did indicate that horseshoes could have an effect on contraction, but these horses were running on a hard surface versus working on a grass pasture. So if your horse needs shoes, it is unlikely the use of shoes will lead to contracted heels as long as the horse has access to soft ground and is trimmed properly. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. State officials continue to investigate a case of chronic wasting disease here in Texas. Jessica Domel has the details in today's Wildlife Report. We know a little bit more today about the case of chronic wasting disease discovered in a free-ranging mule deer in Lubbock County. Mitch Lockwood, the Big Game Program Director for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, says the mule deer that tested positive was found on the east side of Lubbock in the Buffalo Springs area. Well, there's still a lot of unknowns right now. This was just discovered, and it's the only case of chronic wasting disease that we know about in that area. So we're working very closely with Texas Animal Health Commission in this investigation to see if we can learn more about potential source of this disease and try and determine if it's even established yet in the environment there. Obviously, we would hope that it's not. To try and determine that, we would likely establish some CWD zones in that immediate area. That would be uh, potentially a containment zone and a surveillance zone that would surround that containment zone. The containment zone would be an area where the disease has been detected, and then the surveillance zone would be, you could think of it as kind of a buffer zone around there to try and conduct enough surveillance to provide assurance that the disease hasn't spread out to that extent. For both zones, which again, these have not yet been delineated, there would be testing requirements for any white-tailed deer, mule deer, or 
elk that would be harvested within the zones. There would also be some restrictions on the movement of white-tailed deer or mule deer or elk to or from those zones. I'm talking about live animals. Then there would also be some restrictions on the movements of carcasses as well. In other words, hunter-harvested deer or elk, which basically means that they would need to be quartered before they could leave the zone. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. It was a lower day for the cattle and cotton markets on Thursday, but the corn market managed to finish higher. We'll take a closer look at all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Did you know that one out of every three mouthfuls of food we eat is produced by insect pollination, most of which is done by bees? In fact, bees are vitally important to food production. That's why modern agriculture is working with beekeepers to promote bee health. Ensuring a sustainable food supply requires each of us to play our part in preserving the land and protecting pollinators. This public service announcement is brought to you by Syngenta. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. The weakness continues in the cattle market this week. No exception on Thursday as we saw lower prices in both live and feeder cattle futures. April live cattle dropped 85 cents to close at 118.55. The June down 70, 116.97. August live cattle down 67 closing at 116.22. March feeder cattle dropped $1.90, 135.10. April feeders down 232, 138.97. May feeder cattle down $1.92 at 142.65. Cash fed cattle market all quiet on Thursday, no sales to report. We did see some earlier week sales at 114 and we had bids on the table on Thursday at 114. However, the feedlots holding out hoping to get more money, so no sales reported at that 114 level. Boxed beef prices mixed on Thursday. Choice up 88 cents at 233.91. Select down 201, 222.23. Time to check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with J.R. Gully. Well, most of the auction barns returned to service last week after the great cold snap in Texas. Gary Butler at the Nixon Livestock Commission returned to the ring this past Monday and reported a decent cattle sale. Gary? Yes, sir. We had a little light run. Had 642 head, 125 cows, and 12 bulls. Looked like the cow market was strong. Two and three weight steers, a dollar to a dollar eighty-five. Heifers, a dollar twenty-six to a dollar ninety. Four and five weight steers, a dollar forty-two to a dollar eighty-eight. Heifers, a dollar twenty to a dollar forty-five. Four and five weight steers, dollar forty-one to a dollar eighty-eight. Heifers, dollar sixteen to a dollar forty-three. Six and seven weight steers, dollar twenty-eight to a dollar seventy-five. And a heifer, dollar twelve to a dollar thirty-nine. Six and seven weight steers, a dollar seventeen to a dollar forty-seven. Heifer. A dollar five to a dollar twenty six. Slaughter cows got sixty nine for the best cow. 
Slaughter bulls, 59. Uh, stock of cows, 650 to 900. And we had a few pairs, 800 to 10 and a quarter. All right. Sound like you had a good sale. That was the first sale in two weeks. You had to be off due to the great winter of South Texas. <laughs> yes, sir. Thought, I thought we might have a few more cattle than that. But I'm thinking these runs are going to slow down. They usually do after February. The runs slow down a little bit. Got to wait for the new crop of kids. All right. Gary Butler at the Nixon Livestock Commission. Gary, how do folks get a hold of you? You can catch us at Sale Barn, 830-582-1561. And you can catch me on my mobile, 830-857-4330. That's it for today's episode of Walking the Pens from the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm your host, J.R. Gully for Larry Marble. Back over to the futures market now where lean hogs close mixed. April hogs down 62 cents, 87.30. The May up 5, 89.40. Class 3 milk dropped lower. March milk down 25 cents, 16.15 a hundredweight. April milk down 34 at 17.60 a hundred. The weakness continues in the cotton market. We did try a rally early in the trading day on Thursday. However, we couldn't hold on to it. Prices dropped back lower. It just looks like the cotton market is very overbought right now, struggling to recover from that massive sell-off that we had at the end of February here about a week ago when we saw prices drop 400 points in one day. We ended up closing another 131 lower on the May contract, 87.14 was the settlement price. December new crop cotton down 101 points, 85.85 cents. The wheat market closing lower. The market's been moving in a sideways pattern. However, we've got some good-looking weather across the high plains and much of the wheat-growing area of the country. Warmer temperatures and some possible rain in the forecast, putting a bit of pressure on prices Thursday. July Kansas City wheat down four and three quarters, six twenty-six and a quarter. July Chicago wheat down five and a half. 641 a bushel. The corn market was mixed. The old crop March down four cents, 546 and a quarter. September corn up to 491 and three quarters. December corn up two cents, 475 and a half. In the energy markets, April natural gas down six cents at 274. But the crude oil market took a nice jump. April up 285, closing at 6413 a barrel. The financial markets lower. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 407 at 30,852. The Nasdaq down 288 points, 12,708. The S&P 500 down 58, 3,761. Well, that wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up another edition of Texas Ag Today. Thanks so much for taking time for us, and don't forget to join us next time for the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you then. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.